Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Eatonson. Welcome to Heal NPD. Today I'd like to talk about a concept called self as object. Essentially, individuals with pathological narcissism don't relate to themselves as a subject, as a human person who experiences thoughts and feelings that are valid and important in their own right. Instead, narcissists typically relate to themselves as an object, a thing that is either doing well and therefore worth something, or not doing well and therefore worthless. People with pathological narcissism and NPD tend to be preoccupied with concerns about self-worth. The self is either experienced as in alignment with an internal image of perfection, sometimes called an ideal self or an ego ideal, or it's experienced as in some way falling short of that ideal and therefore judged as worthless. There's seldom an in-between feeling about the self where it's judged as simply good enough in narcissism and NPD. Notice that when I'm describing this experience of self, I'm using the word it. In many ways, individuals with pathological narcissism and NPD experience themselves as an it, as an object that either performs or is broken, that's either shiny and beautiful and pleasing to others and therefore of value, or is ugly and unwanted and therefore worthless. For most narcissists, the feelings about the self are unstable and highly variable. And depending on the level of instability in the personality, the perception of self can actually shift on a dime. One moment the person is experiencing the heights of inflated self-esteem, and then the next, they're in the depths of empty depression and despair. This variability in self-image is partly due to reliance on certain reality-distorting defenses like splitting and idealization and devaluation. As the analyst Melanie Klein famously observed, whenever there's a split in the perception of self, there's a corresponding split in the perception of objects. The polarized lens through which narcissists see themselves also applies to other people, who are sometimes similarly viewed as perfect or worthless. But what's the root cause of this instability? Why do narcissists have such a difficult time relating to themselves and to other people as people, as irreducible combinations of, quote, good and bad parts that have intrinsic value and worth outside of how well they measure up to some idealized image of perfection? The answer lies in the ways that relational trauma disrupts the development of the self. When we're very young, we don't actually have a self-image. We sort of exist as a mishmash of undifferentiated feeling states. We're regularly overwhelmed by intense feelings of pleasure, pain, anguish, joy, blissful merger, and terrifying separation. It's only over time that we begin to make sense of these experiences. Perhaps the first psychological adaptation is separating pleasure from pain in a meaningful way. These distinctions build on each other as we go from infancy through our early years until we sort of emerge from the oblivion of undifferentiated internal experience around age four. A substantial aspect of this building of self occurs through repeated interactions with other people, mostly with our caregivers. An infant who's screaming its pain and discomfort into an empty room isn't receiving any meaningful feedback 
about what's happening, and therefore its uh, mind exists in a kind of chaos. But if we place an empathic caregiver into that equation, one who gently picks the infant up, holds it in their arms, who makes soothing sounds and meaningful connections with eye contact, suddenly the infant is lifted out of the chaos of its internal world, and it's met with a being whose internal experience is actually highly organized, and who can therefore see or find the subjectivity of the infant. We actually can't find ourselves without the involvement of other people. In the words of Donald Winnicott, we need to be found. The sorts of experiences that help infants build a self extend into early childhood and beyond. Kohut's term for these sorts of experiences was self-object experiences. At first, they're very hands-on sorts of interactions, suckling at the breast or the bottle, being held, being swaddled, being cared for, the long periods of unbroken eye contact that typically occur uh, between a caregiver and an infant. And as we grow, these self-object experiences tend to become more abstract. But throughout early childhood, uh, when we're doing the bulk of the work of building a self, they remain pretty concrete. Toddlers and young children need to be held, hugged, and given feedback about their thoughts and feelings. Adults need to get down on their level, showing them that their experience in the world matters and is important and is perceptible to another being. All of this is in the service of helping the child to create an experience of selfhood that's firmly rooted in their own subjectivity. They learn to feel their feelings and to respond to them. And this basic connection to their center of being, their authenticity, is what makes life and relationships feel meaningful. They develop fluency in their feelings, learning to factor them into all situations and relationships. They're sort of allowed to have preferences and tastes, desires and feelings that emerge spontaneously in the context of their relationships with caregivers uh, and those around them. Their experience of being a self is grounded in subjectivity and not bound up with problematic and complicated feelings like shame, humiliation, envy, or rage, uh, against which they're forced to defend by learning to ignore or split off parts of their subjectivity and their developing self. So now let's contrast this with the sorts of self-object experiences that are thought to lead to pathological narcissism. It's long been observed that narcissists are typically overvalued in childhood for some talent, skill, or attribute. The classic example would be a child who's pushed to perform by a parent who's acting out their unrealized ambitions and attempting to live vicariously through the child by making them a, quote, star. Such a parent is typically blind to the experiences of their child. It doesn't matter to them that the child maybe doesn't want to be on stage or perform because the parent's too preoccupied with their own issues to see or discover the child. In this scenario, the child is actually an object to the parent rather than a self. If the parent could see and relate to the child as a subject, as a self, then they would probably be horrified that they were creating suffering in the child to achieve their own ends. Of course, this kind of dynamic between caregivers and children is rarely limited to just one activity or one arena of life, like performing on stage. Such a parent typically treats their child as an object uh, in multiple areas of life, always pushing, never really listening or perceiving, always trying to, quote, make the child into something that pleases the parent 
never really taking the time or making the space to discover or find who the child really is and how the child really feels. And this failure to connect empathically to the child is actually a kind of neglect that impairs the child's ability to create a strong and meaningful connection to their own subjectivity. It makes it difficult to develop a sense of themselves as a person rather than as an object that is either pleasing or displeasing to the people on whom they depend. When I work with narcissistic individuals in psychotherapy, there's often a profound lack of self-awareness. Now, to be sure, many narcissists have a keen intellectual awareness of themselves. They're often very good at watching themselves and judging themselves and sizing themselves up, especially in comparison to other people. They're often very good at sensing who or what others need them to be, and they tend to pour themselves into whatever mold seems available to them in a given relationship. And this is why others will often experience narcissists as charming, sensitive, intelligent, etc. at first. And it's only as the relationship develops that the individual's emotional impairments become more obvious. Narcissists can be whatever you want or need them to be. They learn to do that in childhood. This, to them, is what it is to be a self. The experience of self is inextricably bound to the approval of others. The child forced onto the stage eventually learns to act like they want to be there. They learn to mirror the parent's need for them to be a star because acting like that is what gets noticed and reinforced day after day. This is the part of them that gets sort of discovered. The only problem is that this part of them that gets discovered or found as a self isn't authentic. It's manufactured. It's created to please the parent. And then, of course, the parent discovers that part of the child because that's all they were ever really looking for in the first place. The child's actual authentic selfhood remains undiscovered, often even by the child. As they grow into adulthood, this empty place where an experience of self would otherwise be becomes a source of unbearable pain and anguish. It's the feeling of emptiness that individuals with narcissism often describe. Where a self should be, there's instead a void. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. That void can be filled, not with grandiosity or feelings of perfection and alignment with the ideal self, because that never lasts. And not by becoming the, quote, star that mom or dad or whoever expected you to be. The void can only be sustainably filled by an authentic experience of self. And that must be allowed to grow. So if you identify with what I'm describing, it's because you weren't discovered. You weren't found by someone who cared about you and showed you that your feelings matter. You weren't treated as a self. You were treated as an object that existed to gratify somebody else. A consumable, expendable self that's only as good as it can perform. And this is the unspeakable pain and shame that lives at the center of narcissism, and it's why psychologist Stephen Johnson calls narcissists used children. However, this pain can often be a starting point for developing the experience of self that you lack. Look inside and see what's there. If it's emptiness, then go with that. What's the emptiness like? How do you feel about it? Does it make you feel scared, numb, angry? Whatever you find, try to make space for it. Try to perceive the being that is feeling it, you. If you find grief, then go with that. 
For many, feelings of grief, sadness, disappointment, or longing are often the first strands of authentic self-experience that can be followed. And don't worry that these nascent uh, parts of yourself consist mostly of bad feelings. Your job is not to feel good. It's not to be shiny, perfect, or pleasing to anyone around you. Your job is simply to be, to exist as a self with an intrinsic value apart from what you can do or how you can make anyone else feel. You sustained an injury a long time ago. Maybe it wasn't done intentionally. Maybe it was nobody's fault. Whatever the case, you didn't get what you needed. You are allowed to have feelings about that. You're allowed to suffer because of it. And paradoxically, it's that very suffering that might ultimately lead you to something else. Whatever about you may be false, the pain is real. It's undeniably yours. And it's proof that you exist, that there's a being there who feels. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. In time, that feeling will lead to other feelings. And they won't all be unpleasant. Okay. So that's it for today. If you liked this episode and you found it helpful, please be sure to hit the like button or subscribe for more content like this in the future. It really helps with the metrics and to get this content seed by a wider audience. Until next time, take good care.